Welcome to Doing It On Purpose, your shortcut to reinventing yourself with a few giggles along the way for all good brown girls and beyond. I'm Dal, aka The Happyologist, your host, and after 20 years of a lot of work, I finally bossed this reinventing myself thing. As a self-proclaimed good brown girl, I've uncovered well-being secrets from my global travels and I'm saving you a few decades of work and sharing practical tips for your own reinvention and to help you find your purpose. And I'll be joined by some seriously smart good brown girls from the field of psychology, therapy, health and well-being. So if you're ready for a life upgrade, stay tuned. And don't forget to follow The Happyologist on social media for your daily dose of happy habits. I'm Dal the Happyologist and I am doing this on purpose. Hi everyone, it's your pal Dal. Thanks for joining my podcast today on the topic of fertility and the pressures around fertility as we age. And does marriage have to be the only route to motherhood, especially looking at it from a cultural lens as an Asian woman? And it's a really important topic to shed light on, especially in today's society. And so many people feel socially and culturally restricted to sharing their story. But, you know, we really need to remove the taboo. And I want to particularly put the lens of being an Asian woman doing this because the stigma attached is absolutely huge. And what my guest did today was not only brave and courageous, but I wish I had inspiring people like her sharing their story around me back then. You know, my life may possibly have been different. So I'm honoured to introduce our very special guest, Chani Singera. Shani has been a lawyer spanning the 25 years of her career. She was a partner at a leading global law firm and is now a legal consultant. And outside of work, Chani is now mum to a beautiful five-month-old baby boy. Uh, Shani is a single mum living in London, and I'm so pleased that Shani has kindly agreed to carve out time for us to share her inspiring story with us around her fascinating journey into motherhood. So, huge welcome, Shani. Good morning. Again, just want to say it's a massive honour for me that you are joining the podcast today, not least because you're single-handedly raising your beautiful son, and I know just to get to your laptop today has been a massive struggle in itself, um, but you know, also because you so kindly and readily agreed to share your inspiring story with everyone about your journey to motherhood through a sperm donor. And, you know, without people like you sharing and inspiring us, we wouldn't be able to find courage, you know. And I'm actually hitting my 50s and I don't have children. And there are, like me, you know, millions of ambitious, single, educated, independent women out there you know, that have quite rightly pursued a successful career, you know, not uh, given into societal pressure to marry for the sake of it, um, you know, just to keep other people happy and, you know, using marriage as a route to have a child, But that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't want children. There are times, and I'm the first to admit this, that, you know, I felt a bit unfulfilled, um, but never actually thought about going down the route that you've taken. And I believe that, you know, the courage and determination of amazing people like you and others, uh, I know that I've had donors, you know, really paved the way for a more open-minded and accepting society, you know, where individuals are free to choose their paths to happiness and fulfillment. So, I think there's some we found some startling figures to 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 kick us off on this, but the number of women from Indian backgrounds who use sperm or egg donation to start a family in the UK is really low. I think something back in 2018 there were 3,000, you know, 100 patients with Indian heritage that access IVF or donor treatment in the UK, in contrast to a whopping 43 and a half thousand white patients, and that's a huge contrast. So. 
So I'm, I'm really keen, and I'm sure everybody else is, to, you know, to kick in. Can you tell me a little bit about your personal journey around being a mom? You know, when did you start thinking about being a mom, and what led you to wanting to do this alone? I've actually always wanted to be a mom. I think from probably the age dots. I think growing up, I always envisaged that I'd be happily married and you know have three children by the age of thirty. That that sort of went out of the window um, as soon as I went to university. Um, and I think it's just been, like so many people, um, that is also something that you really want to do. We become so focused on our own careers um, that you just expect things to fall into place. You think you're going to meet the man of your dreams or the partner of your dreams, that um, it's all going to just follow. And it will naturally follow that you will then get married and you'll have children. Um but of course, that doesn't always happen. Uh, we don't always meet the, the right person. Um, and I really became, it wasn't something that was always at the forefront of my mind. I think it was just a case of, I will meet somebody in due course, and then mm. the family will follow. Um, and it just didn't happen that way. And but the desire to become a mum never really went away. The desire to have three children went away <laughs> so, um, but it was something I continued to look at and uh, then decided I'd go it alone because why not why should you be restricted to only having children in in, in the form of uh, you know in the institution of marriage um, or with a partner so if you don't have the right partner it's <laughs> what, what's the better thing to do is it to, to have a child uh, and be happy or to be in an unhappy relationship and um, you know, do it that way. So I looked into it um, in my late 30s, um, went to a clinic in London and had um, a fertility test, got told that I would uh, had the fertility or the egg reserve of, a, of someone in their early 30s and delayed to take an action um, again, um, which is something I regret. Um, and so I, it was only in my 40s, late 40s, that I decided that I would go back to, to speak to fertility clinics and then realised that actually it's really difficult <laughs> that your fertility does actually fall off a cliff, as they say, at the age of around 35, and uh, it becomes a lot harder. So I explored um, doing it on my own with the use of a sperm donor. Wow, that's so inspiring. And I had a similar situation, actually. I was considering it in my 30s. And, you know, for me, I wanted to travel around the world, do lots of things. You know, people might say it was a bit more selfish, but I, I always felt that actually I could come back to it. And then I remember having the test done uh, in my early 40s. And they said, look, you, you can uh, you can go for it, but actually the quality of your eggs are going to be really poor. And I can remember that moment. Um, I was with, with a friend and I can remember that moment thinking, I was so shocked because I, I just automatically assumed I could. So for me, one of the things I learned actually that maybe I don't know whether complacency had set in, but um, I guess I just I just thought I would. So I, I, I can imagine what it must have been like. Like you said, you went in your thirties and then you know going back in your forties and having that kind of dilemma in your head. And also the point that you made, which is quite interesting, around you know the, I mean I think I blame it on the Bollywood films, right? Because we think <laughs> that we marry we marry in our mid twenties, right? And then we have children in our thirties, and we all live happily ever after. You know, and our parents always say to at university, uh, somebody was saying this to me the other day, you know, don't talk to boys and, and don't go out with Absolutely. boys. And then when you leave university, they want you to get married. And you're like, well, look, uh, uh, like, you didn't want to show to boys, look at boys. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, so that makes it so much more difficult. But um, yeah, I, I think so many people can kind of resonate with with that story. So, so you clearly thought about 
like you said, you know, in your your thirties, you're thinking about have, having children. And do you feel like a big part of where you took that journey was a lot to do with your career, and I guess just wanting to be able to, you know, do more things for yourself, or was it was a lot of it based on actually I'm going to find somebody soon, so I'm going to be in a relationship? It certainly was for me. I, absolutely, I think the the, mm. the career just you know you leave university. I went to law school. I started and did my training contract. I qualified, and then you're almost on this path that's kind of you know. Uh, laid out and everyone's telling you that you need to work hard and you need to do xyz to get promoted and so you just naturally follow this career path and you assume that you're going to meet the, the you know meet someone and I guess the family was just never at the forefront of my mind it was something I just assumed um, would happen in time so I didn't really think about it too much I have to say I don't think that there is sufficient information given about fertility to women um, which is a real problem. And I think that's if there's anything that I would like people to take more note of is fertility, unfortunately, is, is not something that can wait. Um, you know, women are born with all of the eggs, uh, the egg reserve they're going to have. You know, they're born with, I think it's one to one to two million eggs. By the time they hit 35, that figure is drastically reduced. And so mm. the chances of you getting pregnant from, I think they say from your mid-30s onwards, are vastly reduced because, of course, there is then far fewer a smaller egg reserve, but there's also a greater risk of genetic abnormalities um, with, with the eggs. So the quality of the eggs are um, massively reduced as well. And so, but I don't think anybody really gives that information. Um, people don't talk about fertility, I think. And which is why I think so many of us just think, oh, well, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm, I'm, I'm almost about to be promoted. Um, you know, I don't want to put that, I don't want to risk that. Um, by going down and taking a year out to, to, to go and get pregnant. And I think there are so many factors that come into that because when I was much younger, I recall going out um, for a dinner and I remember one of the male partners turning around and saying at the end of the evening, well, there's no point recruiting women because they all just want to get married and go off and have children, which mm-hmm. I thought was yeah. a really quite mm-hmm. offensive thing to say. Yeah, um, it's still quite common. And unfortunately, yeah. I think there is still a lot of people, there are quite a lot of people out there who have that view. Um, you know, it, perhaps you understand that they're, they're looking at it from from the perspective of their own business that can we really afford to take on all of these ladies who are all going to go off and have children at some point. You know, that is something I think that's one of the, the, the issues you face and then you're almost fighting it. You're almost wanting to prove that, you know, you're not going to be one of those people. But mm. I think in, in my case, it really was a case of I just wasn't aware of the figures, the facts about fertility. And ever since I have learned about it, I have, I'm almost on a mission to try and talk to all of my younger female friends. Um, and as a result of that, I think, you know, uh, certainly a number of them have gone off and had their, have had their fertility tests, uh, fertility, fertility tested. Uh, a couple of them have become pregnant. Um, and some of them have actually decided to, to follow a similar route, uh, to, to myself. So they've gone mm. off and decided to, to freeze their eggs or they've decided to, to, to go ahead and just, um, make use of a sperm donor and, and, and just proceed on their own. So some are in relationships and are not in relationships. So I feel that I'm doing my bit. <laughs> I'm trying to share. Well, I was going to say, yeah. And I think 
well, you're empowering women, right? And I think this is what we lack to your point. I think especially in the kind of our culture, it's, it is a very taboo subject. Um, it's not something you speak openly about, but actually I think we do lack people that are empowering others. And I wish I'd met you a long time ago because I think, you know, like I was saying earlier, my life would be very different because there is this lack of education piece. And I certainly think there needs to be a lot more done around that because, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, in their 40s, um, they get to that stage and, and realize actually my chances are reduced so dramatically and you don't you don't prepare yourself right for that kind of conversation you don't realize actually I think it comes as such a shock absolutely yeah it's challenging enough uh Shani you know going through this po- process let alone having to factor in being a, a single Asian woman you no know, late 40s early 50s so how did you approach this with your family you know we're talking about cultural barriers you know what emotional support was available to you I'm not going to say it was easy. Um, it was something that I thought about and talked to my friends about for, for years before I actually had the conversation with my parents. So um, I'm very close to, 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 my, to, to, to my siblings. So I'd spoken to my siblings about it. I'd spoken to my sister-in-laws about it. I'd been following lots of um, Instagram accounts and doing lots of reading. And Actually, bizarrely, it was one of those subjects that I think my mum for, for years had talked about and suggested to me that I freeze my eggs. But we didn't really have this conversation and then um, ab- about the use of a sperm donor. Um, it was actually initiated, bizarrely, by my mum. So, wow. <laughs> and I think in a round... imagine having that conversation with my mum. I'm not no, sure it, 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 was a, it, was, it was through a very roundabout way, but it was because <laughs> yeah. I think that the conversation, I've been speaking very clear um, about, about this in detail with my cousin. So she had just mentioned it to her mum. And actually, the two mums spoke about it. And I think it was, it, it, it bizarrely came around that way. I was completely surprised and taken aback because I think we all know that in our culture, our parents' generation in particular is very concerned about what the, the neighbours think, what their relatives will, uh, will, will, will say about it, um, what spin there's going to be on it. And um, I have to be entirely honest, I'm not concerned at all about what people think um, because what's there to think about? It's my, it's yeah, my journey, right. it's my life, and mm. you have to put yourself first. Um, so I was incredibly surprised when my mum sent me a long detailed email suggesting that this is something that I ought to to to, to think about um and you know I was so relieved and as I say would I have done this without their approval probably um because I think it's imp- really important so it's, it's your life we only have one shot at it and it's something that I've always wanted um so what as I say what people the neighbours say what some distant relative uh, has to say about it really isn't something that I concern myself with. Um, but that having that sense of approval or having uh, the approval from the go-ahead from, from your parents actually made a massive difference because I wanted mm. their support. I, I'd rather have gone on this journey with them, mm. um, having their assistance that emotional as you say it's the emotional support that you really need when you're going on a journey like this and particularly if you're doing it by yourself I mean even couples uh go through a really incredibly stressful uh time when they're going through IVF so to do it on your own without that help I think can be quite difficult but um yeah. as I say I was very very fortunate and in fact my mother has been absolutely amazing she's been so supportive um 
I actually spend so much more time on the phone to, to them nowadays <laughs> than I have from yeah. uh, in, in, in the last two decades. So it, it's wonderful. Oh, it looks brought you together, um, as children often do. And I think that's a really selfless act on the part of your mom. And I think you're right. Absolutely. A lot of us are too hung up with what does community think. But actually, you know, as I've grown and matured, um, I found that actually our parents have evolved, right? And the questions and, you know, emotions that you want to share with them probably once upon a time we couldn't, Mm -hmm. but because they've evolved also, and they're probably more of the view too, that actually it doesn't matter what X or Y thinks because it doesn't affect their lives. So I think we've got uh, braver as a generation to start to open up that dialogue that we probably once upon a time wouldn't have. But actually I do think we underestimate our our parents sometimes right and our families around us because I think having that discussion uh, and being brave about having and courageous around having that discussion you know can have such a huge impact so well done you for doing that and you know well done to your parents for being so supportive Mm. but you know during that time when you were thinking about it did you have any kind of moments of concern so you know for a lot of us once upon a time you know I would have been then thinking around can I do this without a man and I feel bit embarrassed saying that but once upon a time I did think that you know I come from a traditional setup as do Mm -hmm. you parents siblings so that's the only environment that I ever kind of knew so did you ever have that kind of whole feeling that actually I need a man to do this I went through a phase I think um where that was exactly my mindset which was that well but surely, you know, children is a product of a relationship. It's something, you know, a bit of, bit of you, a bit of them. And, you know, do, is this something I want to do on my own? Is it fair on the child? Is it something I can mentally cope with on my own? And, um, and I guess there is a, a part of you that wonders whether you are being selfish and doing it on your own. But look at the setup nowadays. Uh, there are so many, uh, fat, broken families or single parent families. Um, you know, I think if you, as long as you can give that child the support and be the best parent for them, then I don't think it really matters. So, yes, I mean, I think really, the the issue is that people come and go, relationships come and go. Do I think that I'm going to be single for the rest of my life? No, I've never ever thought that. Um, mm. I'm hoping that one day, you know, I will meet the right person. But I know that my fertility won't wait. It's not something that I can, I can't decide. Unfortunately, you know, we're not men, Mick Jagger, who can probably still produce children now. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there is uh, the, the time for women to do this is finite, unfortunately. Mm. So um, I have taken this decision. I do not regret it for a single moment. I'm very, very happy. Um, you know, it's, it's, bizarre how uh how little little individual can bring so much joy to your life yeah and I think that whole absolutely I mean I've seen you the little one and honestly the relationship you've got and he's such a happy baby and you've got all your friends and family that you know so embrace the situation so it's absolutely so beautiful to see and you know as you're talking there I was thinking about my kind of idealized kind of version of what life should look like you know kind of married you know with kids 2.4 white picket fence that kind of thing dream but actually that dream doesn't exist anyway because obviously we see so many relationships you know um husband and wife uh I don't even need to mention the statistics on divorce. We all know that they're very high. So actually that whole kind of dream vision that we had once upon a time, and I blame it on the fairy tale books that we used to read <laughs> uh, and the sad Bollywood films, but 
that that whole perception of what that kind of dream life looks like doesn't exist anymore anyway right absolutely. so you know uh, absolutely i think you know the the, the, the that sort of the, just the way that families are constituted nowadays is, is so different i mean you know whether you're mm. in the same sex relationship or it might have been a one night stand it might be you know you were in a happy happy marriage which is no longer happy so you know families just aren't a, a standard fit anymore so mm. you know that there is a, an element of me you know that I, I thought that perhaps I it would be unfair to bring a child into the world by myself but as I say I've got the support of um, uh, my, my family uh, my friends around me he is not going without love no, I was going to say, I don't think I've seen a happier child, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, and there's so much love there, which I absolutely love. So I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to hear a bit about the how to. So mm-hmm. uh, can you tell us a little bit about, um, I think it's called assisted reproductive technology. So, you know, the, the donation process and, and how does it work? So um, there's lots of things that you need to take into account. One of the most important factors is also the country. So um, in the UK, for example, um, one of the things you need to take into account is that donors are no longer anonymous. So although you won't know what the identity of the donor is, at the age of 18, they are now given the name and address of the donor. Uh, So there is that opportunity you know there is a possibility that someone is going to come knocking on your door if you're the donor at the at the age of 18 um okay. i think that actually affected uh, the number of donors in this country mm. significantly mm. when that um when the rules changed um there are also countries that are completely anonymous so i had treatment initially in the uk um i had one round uh in a, cl- at a clinic in london um that didn't work out and so i did quite a lot of research spoke to lots of clinics in spain and greece uh partly mm. because i'd been told um i'd heard lots of good things about them i was following various um facebook groups on fertility related issues and um i decided to then go to a clinic in athens in greece I'm happy to, to, to share the name. It's Arc Fertility, and um, mm. the doctor there it was was amazing. I'd heard great things about him, and actually, out of all the consultations that I'd had, I immediately warmed to him. So, the treatment I received out there was was second to none. Um, far, far better than my experience in the, in the, in the clinic in London. Wow. I'd say um, it felt a lot more bespoke. I was being monitored, and my medication was being, um, you know, just just tweaked uh, as necessary um whereas it felt very much like no here you go see you in two weeks um in, in, yeah in, 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 on a conveyor belt type very much yeah. it really mm. didn't uh, really feel as though they were really listening to um and, and looking at my personal circumstances but that is say that's just that's my personal experience i'm not going to mention the name of the clinic but um <laughs> yeah. you know so so what you have to consider is whether or not I think it, it wasn't an important factor in my decision making but one of the things that you would probably consider is whether or not you want your child to be able to find out who the donor is at age 18. Mm. Um, I ended up going to Greece at the time it was totally anonymous and so it, it seemed like the right fit for me I just wanted to be successful. And what you have to do is you then have to source the sperm. There are lots of organisations out there uh, from whom you can source it. Um, the two biggest organisations in Europe, I believe, are the European Sperm Bank and Creos in Denmark. You can also go to the US. There's some, some very large, significant companies there. 
And what happens is that you can then select the, the donor from that database. You are given quite a lot of information about them. Things like the, the most important things are physical characteristics. You'll have some basic information about their medical history. I think they are tested for some general, really important uh, medical issues. And so mm. you have the results of that. Um, I went with Creos in Denmark and um, they have more information. They have pa- information about their parents and their siblings and their grandparents' medical history as well. So um, not not overly detailed, but you can see details like, uh, you know, whether or not what colour eyes they have, what colour hair they have. Um, because it was anonymous, I couldn't see any adult photographs, but I was able mm-hmm. to, to see a couple of photographs of what the donor looked like as a child. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's, you know, they give a little bit more information about themselves, well, you know, what their career is, what their aspirations are, the reason why they chose to become a donor. Um, mm. it, it's a difficult, it, it is obviously difficult. It's sort of, you know, you have no idea what this person is like as a human being. Um, but, um, you know, you you have, so you have some information to, to help you make that decision. Um, the... The sperm is then shipped out to your clinic, so you don't have a access it yourself. It doesn't come to you; it goes straight to the clinic, um, and you know you'll already by then be talking to your clinic about what kind of route you want to go down. Whether it's going to be IVF, mm. if it's going to be IUI, so there is a uh, a more simple method called um, IUI, which is, um, I believe, where the, the sperm is just injected into you. Um, it's a slightly cheaper form, a way of doing it. Uh, IVF is obviously where your body is stimulated. So ordinarily, a woman would produce one egg each month. Um, mm. And the going through IVF, obviously, that process is uh, you're having stimulants uh, with the idea that you would then produce more follicles, more eggs for collection, um, and to be fertilised. And of course, the way it works is that once you've had, uh, you, you the, the clinic will effectively put the sperm together with the with the eggs uh, and see if they fertilise. Um, and then if they get to day three or five, at day five, they are known as a blastocyst, they'll get graded. And if they are of good enough quality, uh, you can speak to your doctor about whether you choose to, you know, to, to transfer one, two or three. Um, embryos back in and then you're basically just waiting to see whether or not that um, that embryo implants and mm, if you're lucky God, that's a nail biting oh, dreadful the two-week dreaded two-week <laughs> wait as they refer to it that's a long two it's a long time it is a it? painfully long time to have to wait but I suppose um, it, it, you know you obviously have a lot more information than if you're doing it naturally <laughs> so yeah, you know exactly yeah. when the, the, the clock starts ticking um, mm. it's almost as simple as that simple to explain it really isn't necessarily always simple there are so many add-ons that clinics will offer you um there are so many you know some people choose to get those blastocysts genetically tested um before they make a decision so they might choose you might end up having to to freeze the eggs and um sorry freeze the embryos um Mm. and having to transfer at a later date um so there's all sorts of things that are you know variations and you get access to quite a lot of information i was quite surprised actually the level of detail of information you can have about the donor Mm -hmm. um so that really kind of helps with the decision making process i guess yes i mean you make it sound very simple i'm sure there were moments where there were lots of highs and lows for you i was going to say it's a very emotional journey and yeah i have to say you know 
as I, I mentioned that my first round uh, failed. And it's, it's a really difficult emotional journey um, because you just don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of testing. There's a lot of blood tests. There's a lot of going into the clinic. And, mm. um, it's ha- quite intrusive, isn't it? It is. I, I guess it's a, a necessity. Yeah. But it does require, it takes up a lot of emotional space. Um, but if it's something that you really want, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's just something you do. Um, you something you do absolutely yeah. and it, and actually when you look back it really isn't that difficult at all let's say that so if it's something you really really want you you yeah. just do it well it's like with anything else is it? I suppose it, you know even like with career you work really hard I mean you, you're you're a very successful lawyer and I suppose going through the exams and having to pursue your career and work really hard for it I think anything that you want doesn't come easy no. but if you're committed and you're motivated I guess it just becomes part of a journey right absolutely and you know say, I think I was quite lucky because I was successful on my second attempt. Um, I know people who have spent tens of thousands of pounds yeah. and perhaps done, you know, 10 rounds of IVF before they've been mm. successful. So it, it's difficult because, uh, as I say, the emotional space it takes up. Yeah. And what's the success rate? So you talked a little bit about, so success rate, I guess there is no... Uh, a specific kind of answer to that because like you say you can be very lucky and and you can hit straight away or you know it can take Mm -hmm. years and years and years so I guess you know when you're talking to uh kind of professionals in this space do they tend to say actually this is how long it should take and actually you know do they say there should be a certain period where you actually think actually it's time to give up or you know what what's what what is the success Right, generally. I think you're right. So, in that it's so difficult because um, you can't really say give a percentage to something like that. Um, I, I think when you're using donor, uh, a donor sperm, um, then you know I, I'm, that tends to be tested. So you have information, some information about that. And again, on the mm. website for, for, for the donors, it will quite often it will say whether or not um, that sperm donor has had a successful pregnancy. Mm. So that's uh, one of the factors you would take into account. With donor, if you're choosing to also use donor egg, then most clinics will tend to tell you that they're allowed to use eggs for women up to the age of 35, but actually that they choose to recruit from people who are much younger than that. So the chance of success would probably be higher uh, simply because there is less likely to be any chromosomal um, abnormality. Uh, with the mm. eggs, so the eggs should be of a much, much better quality. So, I think the chances of success using donor is is, is going to be higher. So, if you are most, nearly everyone will want to try with their own eggs. Um, and if that doesn't work, then there is this alternative path. And there are many women who have, you know, gone down that route. And um, I think there's any shame in it. In the same way yeah. that you know, if you choose to use uh, donor sperm that um it's yeah. it's a means to an end mm. I was just thinking about you know what you were saying about some of the organizations and I guess you would certainly endorse making sure the uh, organization is full, fully vetted and credible and I'm sure you're all over this because you're a lawyer but you know are there any kind of legal considerations or uh, that you need to be thinking about and also from a contractual perspective between the the, the donor and the whole fertility process is there any kind of legal things to think about certainly from i think if you're going down the route of going to to, to one of these big 
organizations like Creos or European Sperm Bank, then actually mm-hmm. it's simply transactional. You have no contact with the donor whatsoever. Um, you know, say they, they're supposed to be totally anonymous. So um, what you're effectively doing is going shopping. Um, and, and that's the end of your relationship with them. People have gone down different routes, though. So I mm. know people who have, who are in the same-sex uh, relationship who have used a, a friend to obtain sperm that way. There are, I, I understand, lots of um, online groups where people are, you know, will offer to to, to, to help um, help out. Um, so I think that there probably could be lots of complications legally there, obviously. Mm. Um, mm. But uh, it's not something that I know a great deal about. I think it would, uh, but I, obviously, if you were going to go to a friend and ask um, them to assist, then I think you do really need to kind of perhaps go and speak to a family lawyer um, because there are issues about parental responsibility and they are genetically the, the father. So you probably want to, to make sure that you dined out um, yeah, the legal before you proceed. Yeah, yeah, but certainly okay. it's a lot easier for, from my perspective because mm. I have done this on my own, and that there, there is no father as such um, on the birth certificate. Mm. And I guess one of the the limiting factors for a lot of people are around the cost. So, you know, I was speaking to someone uh, recently about there's something I uh, called like double donation. So for those that don't know, double donation is basically when the sperm and egg are donated from anonymous donors. So this basically results in creating a fertilized embryo, which is then implanted into the recipient's uterus. So I wasn't even aware of this. So it's an amazing process for those that don't have a viable egg or a single egg and they can't fertilize. So I think there are a number of, of ways that, that that can be donated and you can obviously have a child. But uh, I'm not sure if you know much about double donation, but do you know the costs generally around, you know, donation, the way that you do it or kind of other options available? I think, again, the cost of IVF treatments can vary so dramatically. Um, right. So there are lots of different options. And I think, um, so, for example, I mentioned earlier, there's IUI, which is artificial insemination. There's IVF, uh, where you can have, you know, if, if you're a couple, you can use your own sperm and your own egg. Um, you can have a donor egg. You can use donor sperm. You can use donor egg. You can use both donor egg and donor sperm. Um, and each clinic is going to price very, very differently. I think you're looking at a ballpark of at least five to ten thousand pounds once you've taken the um, medication into into account because medication can be quite expensive. We're looking at one to two thousand pounds just for for, for for medication for a cycle alone. Um, the sperm could be a, another two thousand pounds. So mm-hmm. you do start, even though you go into the clinic and initially they might tell you that it's only going to be three or four thousand pounds. There yeah, are so yeah. many other add-ons that they kind of you know will try and talk to you about. Um, the HFEA website is really useful for that. I think talk, it t- tells you um, talks a little bit about these add-ons. That's the, the the regulator in the UK. I mean, I did find that my I think the treatment abroad was probably a little bit cheaper but by the time you've taken into account accommodation and travel um it worked out to be roughly the same um but i just felt that the treatment abroad was just of much better quality uh the attention i got was a lot better uh and actually the medication the same medication was available for 
a lower price in in, in Athens than it would, would have been if I'd bought it in London. Um, oh. So I think for a single round, I would I would say that you're looking at about five to ten thousand um, pounds. So with uh, donor X. I think what you'll, the clinics, I think, um, will just price you for a package which will involve that, include that cost. So I think it, 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 abroad, it, you might be looking at about five or six thousand euros. Mm. Um, but of course, that is going to be a little bit more expensive because effectively there is a going to be a donor who is going through IVF treatment mm. um, on your behalf. Yeah. Is there support for funding at all? So uh, I don't know, from the government or through insurances, is there any way that that people can access funding? I don't think there is in the UK. Um, Mm. As I say, I've meant... um, I did join quite a lot of Facebook fertility groups and I I sense that there was in the US uh, that that perhaps there was some help via insurance, but certainly not in the UK, not that I'm Mm. aware of. I think if you're in a couple... Um, again, it's not something I uh, I would not have been eligible, but um, I think if you're in a couple, obviously you can go down the the, the route. I think it, it, they refer to it as the postcode lottery. That depending on where you live, yes. that your local uh, authority might assist you with IVF treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there is necessarily any assistance for single women though, and uh, I think uh, wow. it's a real shame. There are companies though now that I read about. I'm sure I've read that some of uh, the, these big tech companies are encouraging and um, and, uh, and and allowing or providing support for younger women to freeze their eggs. Yeah, you know, early well, on in their career, which is you know, which is amazing um, mm. because this process is not cheap. Um, but you know, I know, say if you're if you've been doing round after round for years, then you know I know people who've said they've spent fifty odd thousand pounds on this. Wow, um, it really does accumulate, doesn't it? Really I mean, also, it, it can mm. do, and I think ultimately, which is why I think it can be, you know, it becomes a real emotional subject for people because yeah. it's something they desperately, desperately want, and I think it's um, there are so many people who need assistance. It's it's quite interesting that it's only after you've had treatment that perhaps you know a number of my friends have mentioned that oh well actually we had IVF as well and I'm just did you know mm. such and such did as well it's not something that you should feel the need to talk about um but I think it, yeah, it helps I think for for people to understand that even if you are in a relationship with somebody fertility is not something you can take for granted yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned actually, I was just um, picked up on the point around community. So uh, their Facebook communities, I'm sure, are on most social media platforms. But I guess it can be quite a lonely process, even if you've got the support of friends and family. You want people that are actually in that mm. process uh, themselves. So. Were you able to kind of plug into different communities of people that were talking about this or going through the process? Um, I have followed a an Instagram account uh, called The Stalk and I for uh, several years, which is run by Mel Johnson. So it's basically charting her story, her decision making, um, the decision mm. to, to 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 have a child on her own in her in her thirties because she, you know, for similar reasons that I've mentioned, you know, thinking that I have to wait for the, the, the right person to come along. And um, she actually runs uh, various training courses. I've not attended any of them, but um, it's just been useful to know that there are a lot of other people in a similar boat to yourself. Um, 
there is help out there. Um, I, I've not felt the nece- necessarily the need, but I think there is a whole community once you've given birth. You know, there's the NCT group. There are mummy and baby groups um, that whilst you're off on maternity leave that you can join. And, uh, you know, so there's quite a lot of different ways of meeting people. Mm. They may not necessarily be in the same position as you, but I don't think necessarily that matters so much because what you're really looking for is just someone who's who's going through a similar stage with their child because that suddenly becomes yeah. your, your your main focus it's not about the fact that you're single because they're also sort of on their own during the day the only difference is that you're on your own in the evening as well mm. and so there is I guess you don't have to have the argument about who's going to wake up in the middle of the night to feed the baby <laughs> <laughs> that's so true and I think as you say I think a lot of more people are becoming a lot more open about um going through these journeys you know whether from similar cultural backgrounds to ours or not um you know I've certainly seen uh, um groups on Facebook and on Instagram so I think if people want to hear and feel kind of inspired by people's journeys then there certainly are a lot more people mm-hmm. you know like yourselves that are talking openly about it so I'm sure you know there's 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 lots out there um so one of the things I really wanted to to get a sense from you because I'm sure a lot of people uh, would think about this as they they're going through or certainly think about the process is do you have any concerns around the future of explaining this to your son as he grows up you know is this something you thought about because inevitably um, and children are even more inquisitive from a very young age now. But, um, you know, he's going to say, you know, where's daddy? I went to school and there was a daddy, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm guessing it's something which you've probably had thoughts around, you know, what what's your kind of view on how you would deal with that situation? Um, I have a lot more reading up to do. Um, I have, um, there's, there's some really useful resources out there. There's the Donor Conception Network. And I remember um, a couple of years ago attending a seminar, an online seminar, which talked about this. And I think there's also, I follow a couple of uh, Instagram accounts of donor conceived children. And the message that I'm getting through very loud and clear is that you are open with the child from the outset. Um, mm. you introduce yes. the language of donor at a very early uh, early stage um, but I definitely have more work to do there so I am yet to join the donor conception network but I very much intend to do that just so that yeah. I can basically learn all the all the you know how how to navigate the, the, the difficult what but the inevitable questions. Um, I mean, there will be very many people, I'm sure, at nursery, you know, where there is no father figure around. Um, but I think it's really important to be honest because from what I've managed to, to, to gather so far, mm-hmm. those people, those children who grow up thinking that um, their parents were X and Y and only subsequently learn that they were only conceived tend to be very upset about it whereas those I think who are aware of the situation they may not understand the concept of donor when they're young but it's something that they've always been aware of um I think perhaps can take it a little bit more in their in their stride I mean one of the issues obviously that you have to think about is that if, for example, they were in the UK, uh, I'd used a donor from, from the UK and treatment in the UK, then um, they would have been able to find the identity of uh, the donor at yeah. age 18. And of course, uh, he's not going to be able to do that. Mm, and uh, yeah. that is, again, something I need to just think about very carefully. So, yeah, there are there's a little bit more work for me to do. 
Yeah, I mean, it's plenty of time yet. I mean, it's only five months old, but um, I think uh, I think it's become a lot more. You know, this is this is more of an acceptable process in society. I think you know, twenty, thirty years ago, if you'd have that conversation with a child, it would be very different to having that conversation with a child now. Uh, and I've got friends that are actually going through a very similar process. And exactly to your point, you know, what they've all decided is honesty is the best policy absolutely yeah and not overly thinking it through right so when the time comes you know do you need to sit there and read a whole pile of books or listen to other opinions actually your instinct will always kick in uh, and you'll know how to handle that conversation and mm. from what I'm hearing from you is is don't sweat don't sweat that so much when you're thinking about this process because no. yeah no I think you're, that you're, you know I think there are so many things that I think even if you were in a relationship and you were doing it in a couple there are things that I would probably be reading to make sure that I was prepared for this stage, <laughs> this question. Um, but uh, no, I think those are things that you can worry about later. I, th- I mean, you might want to consider reading up about the subject beforehand because, you know, that might determine whether you choose to go to a country and have treatment where it's non-anonymous, you know, where they are yeah. able to find out the identity. Um, so it's a factor that you, you would take into account perhaps. That you know, that's not something, unfortunately, that um, due to my decision, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind when I mm. was having my treatment. I was just looking for a reputable clinic that had a good success rate. And uh, say, I out of all my consultations, I warmed most to this particular doctor who who did actually work in London uh, for some time as well. Um, so, and and I've been very lucky say Mm. at my second attempt and um i would just encourage people to think seriously this is not a decision that i think you would ever regret taking yeah no absolutely not and i'm just looking at you i mean we've obviously spent some time together and uh you know you're five months in now after having given birth so you know how are you finding motherhood you know in your kind of late 40s you know how do you feel I can imagine it's challenging I mean when I see you you're phenomenal um you are a brilliant multitasker and as I say the little one is always so happy yeah so what what advice would you give to others you know going on this journey around you know once you've had the child because I say you make it look very seamless but I can imagine there's challenges behind the scenes but you know I guess you're you're managing this right and it's probably a bit of a culture shock to begin with but you know how are you finding that whole kind of process I think any new mother is going to struggle um yes. you know I don't think people talk about it as much um it's surprising mm. um but it's it's, it's 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 an exhausting process and I think it comes as just as such a shock initially um you know the, uh, there were lots of things that I just imagined would happen which is that when the baby slept that he would just sleep and uh, not that he would want to be held and that I wouldn't be able to do anything at all in between so it's been exhausting at times but actually five months in he's already in a much much better routine he's he giggles all the time and it's actually yeah it's just lovely um to see to see how uh just just how much changes so quickly so actually all of the initial difficulties that I envisage which I as I say all my NCT mums are going through the same same process and you know they're in relationships it doesn't make any difference um mm. you know it is it is more difficult there there is no doubt about it because there almost is there's no one who's going to walk in at six o'clock or seven o'clock in the evening that you can say kind of give me a breather uh, you know could you could you take the baby so it can be difficult but 
I've had a lot of support. Um, and I think, you know, you develop your own sort of support network. So unfortunately, my parents live three hours away. But my parents did come down and stay with me initially for a few weeks to, to, to help out. My mum's been back since. I've had various family and friends coming coming to stay in between. So it's worked out really well. And, by, you know, and I think after a little while, initially, you think you're never going to be able to survive and manage this on your own. But in fact, you, 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 you just do. Um, mm. and, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty good now. I, I get, I get a decent night's sleep, so I'm quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Each day gets better and better. And I know at some point you're, you're thinking about returning to your, your fantastic career that you've built. So, you know, I think it's reassuring to others actually that, you know, when you built this career, cause I think this is a big, um, area of concern for people is when they've spent so many of their years, decades, you know, building their career and, you know, you were a very senior position in the legal field is, can I go back to that career? Um, which I know that you're very intent on doing and, and you'll be able to do that kind of juggling act. I think it's always going to be difficult for, 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 for um, females. I think um, that decision, a lot of my friends here, I mentioned a couple of my friends have definitely got, have already gone down this route. Um, and both of them were slightly concerned about promotions. Um, both of them both got their promotions. And, um, but there is always a sense that you're on this wheel, aren't you? And people are just dangling mm-hmm. that sort of promotion in front of you. And you just think, oh, I mustn't take time out because I'll fall behind. Somebody else will get it first. And, and actually, the, only, the, the, the key message I think I'd like to get across is that, you know, the career, that promotion, it can wait. You might get it anyway, but um, your fertility won't. Mm. and we don't have the luxury of time we don't have uh the ability to just sit there and say do you know what i'll wait i'll wait another five years or or a- another 10 years you can still have um treatments in into your late 40s and even i think early 50s so i'm, I'm not quite sure what the position is in, in the uk um certainly i know that when the clinic i was um to having treatment at in in athens um i believe the legislation there had been changed post around covid so that you mm. could have treatment up to certainly the age of 52 and i think that might have been extended yet further um mm. but you know ultimately you just need to be aware that come mid-30s your own fertility is declining significantly and the chances of success um, using your own um, eggs is going to be declining and so it's not something that you can just afford to keep putting on the back burner Um, I just think some people you know you can choose to go and freeze your eggs you can choose to freeze embryos and you know if you really want to focus on your career just take out a couple of weeks to have treatment you don't need to you know um go all the way immediately but it's something Mm. i think i would strongly encourage women to think about which is that it's very easy to go and have a fertility test um there Mm. are some women who unfortunately have a, a very small reserve in their 20s so it's not to say that everybody in their 30s is going to have a good chance of, of being successful so i would honestly encourage most um women if you're thinking about it it's going to be a couple of hundred pounds go to your local fertility clinic and have um and be tested so you at least you have yeah. some more information about your personal position Mm, I think you're absolutely right. And one of the things I've learned, if anything, is you know, time just runs away with you. So I think, you know, if it's something you're seriously thinking about is don't hesitate, like you say. Then put it on the back burner. Yeah, absolutely. So 
uh you know I could talk to you all day I just find your story fascinating and I'm sure everybody that's listening has found it really fascinating as well but as a happyologist uh, I have a couple of quick fire questions and one of them is around you know what's the key to happiness from your perspective what what do you think the key to happiness is I think it's about actually creating meaningful relationships in life and whether that's you know with friends it's with colleagues it's with family I think that the crux of happiness lies in your ability to form good relationships with people um and dare I say I think it's also about being able to realize um a long desired dream so for me here I I would say the uh always wanted to be a mum um having Mm. managed to um to have little Rohan um I really am sort of incredibly happy in a way that I've never been previously yeah I can see that I absolutely love that and you know you answer that question I've done a few podcasts now and I get the same answer it's around relationships about connection with others and the positive Mm. psychologist uh, coach which I am you know a lot of uh, what we find our happiness through isn't material things it is actually relationships and connections and and, and like the connections you're building with the little one you, you that's nothing that money can buy um and then one more question I was going to ask you is if you knew then what you do now you know what would you tell your 20 year old self go and get a fertility test <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you might say that I, was gonna say, yeah. I, I just the one message I would really want to push home uh it's something I've been doing ever since I attended that uh, seminar a few years ago and realized that post 45 in the UK, there's so many clinics that won't even allow, uh, won't even allow, test you for your fertility using your own eggs. Um, I think it's really important for people just to be aware that this is not something that can just wait. So I think that's mm-hmm. probably something I would, if I'd had that at the forefront of my mind, perhaps what I cho- how I'd chosen to play my career uh, and family might have been different. Mm-hmm. Not to say I'm not happy now, but uh, it might have, you know, you, you said it could have been, could have been different. Yeah, well, sage advice. You know, Shine, look, thank you so much for sharing your story. Again, what a phenomenal inspiration. You know, I've seen you the little one uh, on a number of occasions and you have settled into motherhood seamlessly. Uh, and there's so much love between the two of you. And I know whilst you're the first to admit it's challenging, you know, at times, mainly sleep. Uh, <laughs> you do seem so happy and fulfilled. You're always smiling. You always look amazing. I know that, you know, it's it's a huge balancing act, but... I think when you find what it is uh, and you're true to yourself, then happiness comes with that, right? And I think you were very true true to yourself, um, which is so hugely inspiring. And, you know, you know, from what you're saying and the reassurance that you're giving is, especially people on the fence about, you know, donating or going through treatment because, you know, it is so taboo. I think, you know, leaving behind those old-fashioned kind of mis- misogynistic, you know, ideologies, uh, because that's that's they all you know they are you know you're no less of a woman because you need to go through a process you know to make the next generation so no woman from you know what you're saying Dane what I've heard many people in the same situation say you know no woman should miss out on what could be the most beautiful journey of her life because society communities whoever they are uh, is limit has these limiting views on it uh, and if I've learned anything today you know we should all follow and trust our instincts because um, people's worth and values aren't and shouldn't be determined by you know a community that doesn't know you they should be determined by you alone you should determine your fate and what you you want to do so thank you thank you so much um thank you everyone for listening thank you for sharing your story shani and i wish love and light to everyone thank you
Thanks for tuning in, lovely listeners. Any questions or thoughts? Drop me an email at dialthehappyologist.com and follow me on my social media, The Happyologist, to stay connected for regular empowering insights to supercharge your journey to purpose.